It is a time of great celebration here at Flat Squirrel Productions. On October 20th, the My Comic Shop Country Kickstarter campaign was successfully funded. All season on the podcast, you've been hearing about the stores on My Comic Shop Odyssey. Next year, the journey continues in a new documentary film called My Comic Shop Country. Thank you to everyone who pledged and helped make this happen. I am immensely grateful for everyone's support, and I can't wait to get to work and make this movie. In the meantime, be sure to keep tuning in to My Comic Shop History and to Flat Squirrel Tales Beyond My Comic Shop. There are still three episodes of each series left this season. No flat squirrels here! Welcome to My Comic Shop History. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. This time around, my travels around the country bring me to Chicago, Illinois. I am here at the Eisner Award-winning Challengers Comics and Conversation, and I am joined by the store's co-owner, Patrick Brower. Patrick, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks very much for having me. Thanks for coming to Chicago. Yeah, this is actually part one of a uh, two-part Windy City episode, Uh, so we're kicking things off with you, and then we're going to have another Chicago installment next time around, so I'm excited to be here and explore some comic shops. You know, there used to be a chain called Windy City Comics in Chicago, but they didn't make it. Oh, that's too bad. Well, sadly, you know, a fate that, uh, you know, befalls many comic shops. But uh, you guys are going strong. So if my math is correct, this coming year, 2018, will mark your 10-year anniversary. Yes, it'll be our 10th anniversary, yes. Congratulations. That's no small feat. Uh, Yeah, we uh, never really thought it would. I mean, we hoped it would get there, but we we couldn't say for sure. And at this point, who knows? That's six months away. (laughs) Well, I think you guys will, I think you guys will make it. So this is one of the final episodes of My Comic Shop History Season 3. I've spoken to a lot of retailers in different parts of the country. One theme that has emerged is um, what really seems to be a concerted effort on the part of at least the stores that I've spoken to to really engage in proactive community building and be places that are welcoming and places of inclusion. And you've kind of taken it really to the next level because it's in the name of your store. Sure, yeah. And I know from what I've read and, I've, and what I've heard about you that, the, you know, it's a conscious choice that the store is called Challengers Comics and Conversation and not Challengers Comics and Collectibles. Right. Well, uh, we don't like looking at comics or anything we sell as a collectible. We want you to buy a thing because you want that thing. You want to engage with that thing. But to put the conversation in the name, so many people that we know that shop here don't really have people in their lives that are comic fans. And as a human being, anything that you're into, whether it be comics or a television show or a sports team or whatever, part of the fun of being engaged with this thing is being able to talk to other people who like it. And if you don't have anyone in your life who likes comics, we want you to know that you can talk about comics here. I, when I was in a, I've been a comics reader my entire life for the most part. And in grade school and junior high, there were maybe one or two other kids that read comics. And you find those people, like you gravitate toward those people, but it's not, or it wasn't as prevalent back then as as it is now. So we want people to know that this is a, forgive the phrase, a safe space to talk about anything related to the things that we sell. We occasionally get someone coming in and say, I'd like my conversation, please. (laughs) <laughs> and then we say, well, you just had it. It was very short. Fair enough. Yeah. 
So I want to get much more into your mission statement and what you guys do here. But I have to tell you, and I know listeners can experience this through our auditory podcast, your store is the best smelling shop that I have been to. Thank you. Thank you. That is, uh, that's on purpose. Um, the secret is simply Glade plugins. Well, they I mean, do the trick, sir. We, we know what comic stores smell like. Um, I remember a lot of early comic stores in my life smelled like my grandmother's attic, which is where, like, she had a library in her attic. So warm, pulped paper or newsprint, or, you know, you leave a newspaper in a car for a couple days, you know that smell. And that's what all comic stores smell like. It's not a bad smell, but it's an off-putting smell if you're a new reader or new to the industry. So it was from the very beginning, it was, yeah, we're, oh, we're just... It's just Apple Cinnamon Glade plugins. That's all. That's our scent. That's our signature scent. You know, it, it took me a moment, though, because I came yeah. in and I think it registered to a certain extent, but it, I, like, I didn't fully make the connection. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, it really smells good in here. That's one of the best compliments we get. And we get it um, more often than we ever thought we would was, hey, it smells good in here, which I think more people are surprised that it doesn't smell bad in here. I think that's what they're actually saying. <laughs> We've discussed this on the podcast before, but at Alternate Realities, uh, I, I guess it was more or less the opposite. The store didn't smell great, yeah. and there was a, a particular period of time, uh, a very dark hour, when there was a uh, a dead rodent tucked away in a hidden Somewhere. corner of the store, oh, no. and it was it was very unpleasant. Yeah, uh, and and I think off putting to I mean certainly to us, and I sure. would imagine to customers as well. So, you know, it's uh, it was literally a breath of fresh air. Coming here. <laughs> And so I, before you came, and as I was setting up, I had a chance to speak with the store's co-owner, Dal. Mm-hmm. Dal Bush. And yeah, w. Dal Bush. That's right. And he said something that uh, was apparent to me through my research, but it was great to hear from him, and I, I would like to you know, pick your brain about it, too. Uh, you know, he was really getting at the idea that you know, what you guys do here, you know, one of the main objectives is to challenge the notion of what a comic shop is or what it can be. Yeah, I, I don't know that I would use that phrasing, but it... The if, if you want me to dig in a little bit deeper, the sure, name yeah. Challengers, which uh, Dal came up with it, and he had a, a short list of names when we were thinking, but as soon as he said Challengers, I'm yes. Because uh, on the one hand, he and I both had full-time jobs elsewhere. So it was a challenge, a personal challenge to us to leave the comfort of a steady paycheck and to start a, a, our own business. But it was a challenge to see if we could do it, but also we want to challenge readers and customers to find the store and to try something they haven't read before and to pick up a book that we we recommend just because we recommend it and we want to be challenged by our readers as well so it's not that you're big challengers of the unknown fans actually uh the, is, the funny part was when dal came up with the uh, the name and it was right around the time that uh, new pornographers had a, an album out called challengers and i think that may have influenced him a little bit although a lot of older customers think it's space shuttle related, which it is not. Uh, I immediately envisioned the store color as purple and Dow just said, no. So that was the, the Challenger's jumpsuit. Gotcha. Uh, one other thing that really struck me about the store is the red and white color scheme. Uh, it is very striking. How did you guys land on that? Well, uh, like I said, I wanted purple and Dow said, no, it's red. And we, branding is important to us. We want to make sure that when people are in the store, they don't say, I'm at the comic shop. They say, I'm at Challengers. So to us, that means having a theme, and that goes down to the colors that we wear as well. It could be any colors. Like the red doesn't simplify anything specific, but we do call it Challengers Red. 
but so often people come in and ask if we're part of a chain because we look like part of a chain. One of the things that we do, all of our signs are printed. Whether we print them here or get them printed by a printing company in the neighborhood, we don't have handwritten signs. Any sign that goes up is printed and looks professional. So people just assume it's like mass produced or, or I think that's what gives an impression of us being part of a chain. But yeah, we definitely wanted to have um, a noticeable color scheme because so many stores don't have that kind of identity and branding is important. Yeah, I have to say, um, and I have to give this a little bit more thought, and I don't want to sell any of the other stores that I've been to short, but uh, I do think this is the most, aesthetically speaking, the most distinct. Uh, and I, I think the color scheme really, uh, really contributes yeah, to that. Yeah, we, we worked at other stores in, in the past, and it was always a hodgepodge. It was, we found these racks in the trash, or we bought these from some uh, clothing store that was going out of business, and it never looked like it fit together. And we wanted to make sure everything we did looked like it belonged. Now, you said that people sometimes assume that you're a part of a chain. Does that yeah. ever go against you? Because sometimes people are a little averse to, to yeah, chain yeah. shopping. Um, and sometimes they don't believe us when we say we're not. And we always take it as a negative, but it's not ever meant that way. It, it's some, Sometimes you can think, oh, you're saying this because you don't think we could do this by ourselves. Like we need help doing this, but we didn't. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I think that's, uh, I and, think that's the, the right way to take uh, it. Yeah, I don't think anybody means uh, anything bad by it. Right. I, I mean, think it means, where's another one of these we can go to? Yeah. It's funny. It's, uh, well, going back to the smell, such a contrast uh, as far as the signs, for example, with alternate realities where all, all of our signs were handwritten. I mean, yeah. well, some were typed, but most of them were handwritten. And it, it's, it's definitely a different vibe for sure. sure. I mean, I think the handwritten signs can contribute, uh, at least in part, to a little bit of a store's charm. Sure. Do you feel like you lose any of that by having everything professionally printed, or is it far well, outweighed by what you get? It's funny you say that, because uh, one of our favorite negative Yelp reviews was, there's no comic shop funk, to which we think is a massive compliment, but from this reviewer's point of view, it didn't feel like walking into a basement or an 80s comic shop or something. And as far as, I would rather it look professional than not. So, I mean, if if that's what someone's looking for, I'm sorry we don't have that. It's interesting you say that because that was always a frustration of ours at Alternate Realities where it, it did have more of that old school vibe. It was very messy. It was cluttered. There were a lot of boxes to go sure. through. And for those of us who worked and shopped there, we always wanted the store to be a little bit different, a little more streamlined and organized, neat and clean. And I, I think others, or at least some others, felt the same way. But then there were customers who we talked to who, who liked it because yeah. they saw it as an opportunity for discovery. So, yeah, you're always going to have different kinds of fans who are looking for a certain type of experience. Well, one of the things you said about the way you guys wanted it to be as employees was a way we wanted to feel where we used to work. But once you own it and it's an immediate reflection on you, that's when you change it and you think, no, we'll, we'll do things this way. Yeah, so I so you actually did so for all the talking that yeah. I did about alternate realities and the podcast and everything. I never really put my money where my mouth is, and you did. So where were you working before this? Uh, it was a, a a chain of stores uh, in in the area, and I'd been working there for actually seventeen and a half years. And I hired a very young twelve year old Dal Bush to work for three hours a week in like nineteen ninety one. So that's that's how I met Dal. He was a, a kid who was coming in and buying Marvel Universe trading cards. And I thought, 
yeah, this kid, this kid could help out. He could do some stuff. Um, I never wanted to own a store. Working where I used to work and seeing the headaches and all the tax issues and all the paperwork and everything else, I thought, that's not for me. I'll just, I'll just do it. But there were way too many things that both Dal and I wanted to do in the stores because as, as uh, our tenures increased, we got more responsibilities. The chain grew. There was a point where um, I was running the, the number one store and Dal was running the number two store. And at the same time, Dal had a, a full-time office job that he was working a night job. And he would do literally two eight-hour shifts every day. And those other stores may have been micromanaged to death and you could easily work hard all day and then go home feeling like you're not a good employee because you constantly get yelled at. So after way too many of those types of encounters, Dow just said, I don't need this. I have another job. I have a, a better paying job elsewhere. And he left. And after a few months, he came back to me and said, maybe it's not me. Maybe there is a better way to do a store. And at that point, uh, I had, had previously been offered to buy into the store we used to work at and thought about it, but wound up not doing it. And I, like I said before, I never wanted to own a store. But when one of your best friends comes to you and says, what if, you have to try. You have to try. Would you rather not say the name of the chain? There's... <laughs> I don't know how many chains there are do you, in do Chicago. You have, uh, probably... Do you make cricket noises you could drop in right there? I've, I've been to one of the Graham Cracker Comics locations. I don't know if that's the chain I, that you're I've, referring to. I don't, I don't, I've never heard of them. <laughs> what? Well, I'm that not sounds from, like a treat. Yeah. Well, I'm not from here, but uh -huh. uh, I was here last year. And, okay. And, um, you know, I forget offhand which, which location it was, um, but I did visit one of the Graham Cracker locations. And... You know, I, I don't ever like to judge a store based on one particular encounter because I know from working at a store, there are a lot of things that go right. on. And, and right. I didn't have an overly negative experience. Like sure. There was nothing horrible about it. But I went there. It was a Wednesday, so that's a busy day. But I was in there, I mean, for probably close to an hour, and nobody said a word to me. And wow. in fairness, I mean, I, I like to think if I had a question, I had approached them, they, they would have helped me. Sure. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just a little surprising uh, to, to not have anybody come over in that time. Uh, again, it was just one particular instance. I don't know if that's always what it's like, and sure. that's only one of the locations. I don't know. But that was the one and only experience that I've had there. Our philosophy here is we greet you when you come in. If you have an immediate question, we'll answer it. If you look like you know what you're doing, we'll leave you alone. But if you're looking around for like 10 or 15 minutes and you don't seem to have anything, we'll come over and be like, hey, is there anything you're looking for? You know, we, we give you space, but also it's not like Home Depot where you can never find somebody when you want somebody. There's, there's always somebody behind the counter. You'll be able to tell who works here or not. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, it, this is another theme that's, that's emerged, and I guess it goes towards that community building, is the art of the personal recommendation. Because I've heard this from a number of stores. Actually, yeah. the previous episode of, of the season featured uh, Sarah and Patrick Titus, the owners at the comic book shop in Wilmington, Delaware. Yeah. Uh, and they are huge on that, on making those personal recommendations. And it's really great to hear that from retailers. And I look back on my own experience behind the counter, and I feel like 
I probably missed out on opportunities to connect people with books. Um, you know, the, the recommendations happen. I feel like they happen more with the people I knew, the regulars. Like we would just talk about what we were reading and, sure. you know, they, maybe I would turn them on to something. But the person who just came in cold, I mean, I would say, you know, is there anything I can help you with? But, right. you know, I, I don't know that I went as far as to say, you know, hey, did you see Spider-Man Homecoming? What did you like about that? Yeah. You know, what are the types of stories that you enjoy? You know, I, I don't know that I ever really took that step. It's, it's cool to, to hear that retailers are, are may, really making that effort. Yeah, that's one of the best things of what we do is when you say to somebody, hey, have you ever read Kill or Be Killed? Or have you ever read any of the Brubaker and Phillips books? And if they say, I don't know what you're talking about, and like you put the book in their hand, you describe it a little bit. But the, the best feeling is when they come back and say, that book was amazing. What What's next? What else should I get? And uh, one of the things that I'm, I think, good at is I don't follow somebody and, and like talk about everything they're doing, but if I can see them and they're my line of sight and they pick up a book I like, I will yell from across the store, oh my God, that book is so great. Then I'll walk over and say what I like about it and things like that. And I know there's retailers that have like a, a go-to list of, you know, here's these 10 books that we, re- we recommend. But for us, it's, it's always just like the simple question of, is there any episodic TV you watch regularly? Not sitcoms. But, you know, if, if, if you say, like, lost, we'll be like, oh, all right, you know, that gives us some, a direction to point you towards or what have you. And with streaming services, it could be literally any show that's ever existed or if you're watching on YouTube or whatever. But, I mean, it's, it's one simple question to boil down a little bit of an opinion as to tastes right. and likes. Speaking of recommendations, I think I came across an interview of yours where you guys were talking about how Saga brought so many people into yeah. the store. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, I don't know if this is something that you can really answer from this side of it, but like, how do people, how are people finding out about Saga in the first place? Oh man, that's the eternal question. How does anybody find out about anything? Like uh, word of mouth, news sites. But I mean, if you're new to comics, you're not going to be reading CBR or right. Newsarama. Uh, it's got to be a friend. Like you, you have to have in some way heard of it from somewhere. And uh, hopefully if it's a book that's that far reaching, it transcends normal comic sites and goes to mainstream news sites or what have you. But yeah, we honestly don't know. One of the things we wish we could ask every person is, how did you find our store? What made you come in today? But that's weird to ask strangers. Like not what brought you in, but like, how did you find us specifically? Uh, one of the things I like so far about everybody you've talked to in this current season is we, we know all of them or we know of all of them. And I've never met Sarah Titus, but she's very active on some retailer online groups. And I feel like I have a good idea of who she is. And I think that she's a, a great retailer and a, a total um, benefit to the retail community. And I like hearing like all the names you reach out. I'm like you, that you've hit of stores this time where you're going to. And like I know those people. I love that we have a community of people that, care enough about the industry that we talk to each other and as far as recommendations go it goes retailer to retailer as well like uh, you know this from from being on the other side of the counter there's almost 3,000 comic shops in America right now and that means there's 3,000 ways to do the same thing and everybody has a take on it and nobody's way is really wrong it's just what works for them but it's so great to be able to have resources to talk to those other people and to see, well, what would you do in this situation? 
Yeah, that's the thing. And I, I'm sure there are plenty of retailers who are just kind of off doing their own thing. But, you know, it's, it's re- it really has been cool to find this community of retailers. And even in these episodes, you guys are all referencing each other. Yeah. And, and I'm you know, hearing about these online you know, message boards and everything. It's, it's cool that that exists. Uh, it didn't exist where we used to work. We were in a bubble and we're, we're kept away from everybody else. But as soon as we opened Challengers, it's like the other stores in the city came to us and said, hey, welcome to Chicago. Welcome to retail. They may not have known our, our pedigree, but they were all like, hey, let's all work together. And we do. There's stores that we, like uh, Dow and I try to have dinner at least once a month with another retailer, and we split between others throughout the city, and we share want lists, and you know, it, it's just good to have, again, that resource, but it's also good to be able to have, uh, there, there's a store in the city, Dark Tower, that is the exact opposite of everything we do. Like they are complete, they, they have the completely different philosophy. They're night and day from us. But I love talking to Mark, their owner, because I want his perspective. And uh, he's like the store that we, we swap stuff with most often. Yeah, that's very cool. And I mean, one thing I've learned is, you know, I think it's important for retailers to be able to respond to the needs of their particular market. So, I mean, like you said, what works for one store might not work for another, but sure. it's interesting to get the different perspectives. Going back to the opening of the store, obviously Chicago's a, a major city, so uh, maybe this wasn't so much of an issue, but given that there is this large Graham Cracker Comics chain, and, and I mean, the store is not wanting for comic shops generally, was there any fear in, uh, in that respect as far well, as opening another store in the city? What we did was we took a map of the city and marked off where every comic store that existed currently was, and we looked at the areas that didn't have stores, and there were three main areas that stood out to us, but location and price made it be the Bucktown neighborhood that we're in. But our goal was to not be where anybody else was. We weren't looking to step on toes. Uh, I have a long-held philosophy that if, let's say Challengers is doing a million dollars a year in sales, and you open up a new alternate reality right across the street, the combined total of those two stores will be well over a million dollars. We won't make a million dollars anymore, but the more stores, the more money. Like any time a store goes under, it's painful for the industry because a, a large percentage of those people just quit reading comics. So the more stores, the better for everybody, just, you know, not across the street from each other. Right. I read that you said when you guys opened, you, in terms of the clientele that you were expecting, you were anticipating more of the traditional old school comic yeah, book fan, I, older, older male customers. I had been working downtown for almost a decade, and that was heavily mainstream superheroes, big two, that kind of stuff. And we're certainly not opposed to other types of, of comics. And uh, if you look at the comics that I read as a kid versus what I read now, it's like it's it's like night and day, which I've already used that phrase before, but it's still appropriate. So we we set it up to be, and, and you know, Dow was working a, a major suburban store, so he had his idea of what his client base were, and they they kind of matched, because let's face it, they were in the same chain. So we modeled our our store after like those sales numbers, and those those books, but. Uh, we quickly found out that this is a much more diverse and culture-rich area and that, not that we were going to just carry Marvel and DC, but relying on just those was not the way to go. Right. So when you started to see more families, more women, more kids coming in, what were the changes that you made to cater more to that more diverse group? Uh, Bringing in just more diverse books and working with a lot more diverse creators. Uh, A big thing for Challengers is always events. 
and we're not just gonna uh we didn't start with just having superhero artists in our, our first signing ever was Chris Burnham, the artist on the images, then Nixon's pals with Joe Casey. And that is not a standard superhero book. So from the beginning, our, our first, our first event ever wasn't uh, superhero related, but we, we just like showcasing things outside of the regular sales charts. Right. Well, it's interesting to hear that because I think, you know, based on my experience at Alternate Realities, if I were opening a new store, I'd probably have a similar expectation because sure. the majority of our customers were essentially middle-aged men. Yeah. Uh, but it, I mean, it's, it's encouraging. And I've, I've heard this from so many retailers that there are so many people and different kinds of people reading comics. It's such a, I mean, there's more new people in the industry now it's just that we don't have as many of the older people in the industries. And one of the things we learned right away was that people that get into comics now, they don't care about publisher. They don't know the difference between Image or Dark Horse or whether it be back issues of cross-gen comics or Aftershock. They don't care. They just want the book that they want. So we used to break things up by publisher because that's the way we always did it. We used to have our graphic novels separated by Marvel, DC, Vertigo, Image. As or, we did as well. Right. And we even had our, we used to, uh, back issues to be separated where we used to work. But we're like, no, we're just everything by title or by character. Like we keep action under S for Superman or amazing under S for Spider-Man, that kind of thing. Because that's what people want. Nobody is going to look in the image section for Walking Dead. They're going to look under W for Walking Dead. And... People don't didn't even know coming in that that comics are could be periodicals or collections, and it doesn't matter if they don't know that. Who cares? They just know the format they want to buy it. So we're not going to be like, well, you know, you have to buy the single issues if you want. No, they buy it the way you want to buy it. If you want to buy in single issues, we have that option. If you want to wait for the collections, we have that option. And a lot of the newer readers coming in are collection readers. They are just people that want those books, and that's fine. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, and I know it sounds like such a pedestrian question, but, you know, singles or trades. But I remember in the early to mid-2000s when, you know, trade paperback collections became much more common because yeah. prior to that, you know, big key storylines were collected, but it wasn't an automatic, and now almost everything is collected. Right. So, yeah, I was curious what kind of trends you're seeing. I mean, what do people tend to favor? Because I got to the point, and I wrestled with this. The collector in me yeah. and the reader in me really had a war over this. Sure. Because the collector in me wanted to have the single issues, wanted to have every issue in a run and have that short box of bagged and boarded books, but the reader in me preferred... The, the reading experience of a trade paperback. No ads and the complete story. Read it all in one sitting. It looks great on a bookshelf. There was really, it was really a tug of war and I, it was something I wrestled with for a long time. What, what are you finding? I'm, we're finding that uh, it fluctuates a little bit. It, like two years ago, we would have said that graphic novels are selling better than single issue comics. Now it looks like single issue comics are selling better than graphic novels, but we're not talking leaps and bounds. We're talking incremental percentages and it's basically it's considered half and half it's split half and half as a, as a personal reader i've been buying and reading comics since i was five because i have a, a brother six years older than me who was reading so we have this massive single issue collection we don't buy the singles anymore either i mean it the biggest problem i think for a long time reader is not i can't afford it it's i don't know where to put it there's too much of it and it just becomes a point of i, I don't no other magazine that I get, like Sports Illustrated or Entertainment Weekly, I don't save those. I read those and I recycle those. 
but I get enjoyment out of those. But comics are a thing that you keep, you save, you, in theory, will reread, although I have yet to actually uh, reread. And I, I used to have a massive personal graphic novel collection, but I have pruned that down just because, A, I don't like moving it, and B, it's like I'm, I, I've never pulled this book off a shelf, not even to dust it. So it clearly means that I don't have to own it. But modern, like people getting into comics now don't really gravitate toward the single issues. They like the collections. And people that I'm reading comics for the majority of their life, they prefer the single issues. And we do have some people that do both or buy the singles and then try to eBay them out when the trade comes out. So they have the trade. So they just like they want to have the collection. But it, it becomes a point where as we're moving to a society of experience over physicality, you want the experience of having read a book, but you don't necessarily have to own it. So that's what we have to wrestle with as shop owners is people maybe not needing to own it. And honestly, whenever somebody comes in and says, uh, do you have this? I need this. I like to say, you don't need anything we carry. There's nothing in this store you need. This is not food or shelter. But, you know, we're happy to get it for you. Yeah, the, the, that trend is interesting. And it, it tracks when you consider really just the direction everything seems to be moving in. We're not a society anymore, certainly, of delayed gratification. I mean, everybody wants everything. Yeah, it's immediate. As soon as possible. And you look at Netflix. I mean, they release their shows every episode at once. So somebody who's used to binging Netflix shows, you know, if they come into a store and they're like, oh, I want to read <clears throat> this comic book series. And you tell them, well comes out once a month and you have to wait a year to read this 12 issue storyline 20 pages yeah i mean i feel like that wouldn't compute but if you can say here you go here's the entire thing in one chunk that would that would make sense to them yeah we often get the question of are there more of these because people may be put off by let's say starting walking dead knowing that they're on volume 28 but then other people want to know there's so much more after it but other people don't want the commitment I want to circle back to this whole collector versus fan reader issue because it is very interesting to me. But uh, I just want to ask, and you don't have to give me specific percentages or anything like that, but just generally speaking, as far as what you sell in terms of Marvel and DC versus independent stuff, what is the general breakdown of what you guys do? Well, I can't give you percentages because I don't have that in front of me. Uh, And uh, that is more of a Dal question than a me question. But uh, honestly... Marvel is still our, our biggest like our biggest sales. We we break our books down um, by Marvel, DC, everybody else, and that includes like the all ages book. Like the, this is just single issues. We don't track the graphic novels based off of uh, subcategory. We we do in the system, but it's it's a subcategory, not like it's graphic novels then Marvel, DC, Image, Dark Horse, whatever. But the comics are separated. Marvel, DC everybody else has their own so in that it's usually marvel on top almost every day it's rare that dc beats them and honestly it's uh dc and independence fight for second place but independence literally is everything not marvel or dc so that includes image that includes every company and image is massive at this i mean they have so many titles yes yes but their sales are the opposite of massive they haven't had a saga-like hit in it, like, well, Paper Girls, but nothing else comes close. And current Image Comics, regardless of quality, because there are some really great books that are criminally underlooked, we, we don't get 
more than 20 of a new image title, maybe, like tops. And that doesn't count like Killer Be Killed, which is a, uh, of like a high B level image book for us and like Southern Bastards. But new things coming out from image nowadays don't have that, uh, oh, it's an image number one to it like it did like three or four years ago. I wanted to get your take on something that came up in a previous episode. I don't know if you're familiar with Menachem Lukens. Oh, yeah. He, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Escape pod. <laughs> Escape pod, yep. So he was on the show. I can do this all day. Yeah, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is awesome. I really can't. I really can't. <laughs> so he was on the show a little bit earlier in the season. And, I mean, much like your store, and I want to get into your store more, but uh, in a similar way, his shop is very much focused on books. Yeah. Single issues and trades. But he, he really caters to that independent comic scene. And... The opinion he expressed was that shops might want to consider not giving so much display space to the mainstream superhero stuff, the DC and Marvel books, because people are going, someone who comes in wanting Batman, they're going to they're gonna find Batman. Sure. You don't necessarily need a display devoted to it. But if you use that retail space, that real estate, to showcase an independent title, something that might not otherwise be on someone's radar, that can really make a difference and maybe even move the needle a little bit. Um, where I mean, where do you fall on, on something like that? Well, it's like interesting that? because we did things a certain way for nine years, and then back in May of this year, we completely changed it. We used to have a, a long wall that went the whole length of our store. New Comics went down a wall, around a corner, and then straight down to the other end. And it was, we would change how it would be separated. We would have, like, image at the front, Marvel in the back, maybe people walk to Marvel. We would have... Depending on, because the the way the walls jut out, there's some spacing issues, so we would put things differently. But this year, after um, Free Comic Book Day, we just decided that looking at our sales numbers, our individual single-issue comic sales, 90% of the sales come in the first week. And we would give a bigger title, like, three or four spaces. Well, what we did now, and what we do now is... We collapsed everything to alphabetical by title. Everybody gets one spot. And then we have a new release section, which we've never had before. This is new for us, where we have the room for 70 spaces of new titles per week. Some week it's difficult. Some week there's like 77 or 78 new titles that we're getting. Some weeks there's 50-something, so there's a lot of spreading around. But after they move from the new this week wall... They just go back on the, the main wall mixed in. So every book, every title gets the same square footage, one space. And all our graphic novels are shelved like uh, bookstores, spine out. So again, they, they get up as much space as they take up from their thickness, not from the way. Like we don't have a Batman section. We do because it's under the letter B, but we don't do call outs or things like that. So now you said this was a recent shift that yeah, you made? Yeah, earlier this year. Okay, and what effect have you have you seen so far? Well, we did notice all along that like if someone was coming and looking for a Green Arrow, they'd be buying the new Green Arrow. They wouldn't be buying the last four issues of Green Arrow or whatever. But if you want them, we still have them. And what we would do is if we had, let's say, three spaces for a book, we'd have the newest issue on the far right, the second newest issue next to it on the left, and then everything else behind it. People didn't necessarily know that that last pile was all the older issues. And this way, if we just put everything into one pile, people are more inclined to look behind the front issue when it's one pile than they would if it was spread out some more. 
Because if they see it spread out and they see, oh, well, this is a single issue, this is a single issue, I assume this pile here is all that same single issue. So that, that makes people look a little bit more. But honestly, it freed up more room for us because we were able to take all of our action figures out of the room that we're in and put them at the end of where the comics used to be and then give this, this, whole, this whole wall right here next to us was action figures. Now it's more all-ages stuff. And building the future is the most important job that we have because we don't need to cater so much to the comic readers of today as we do tomorrow. And, you know, it's an, it's an old saying in any industry, but get them while they're young. Like, you hook a comic reader when they're a kid, yeah. they'll want to keep reading. They may, not, they'll, they may not be reading single issues, but they'll be reading. Yeah. You and I got in at the same age. I yeah. was five years old. Excellent. Well. Yeah. So we are in the sidekick section yep. of the store. It's basically the all-ages version of Challengers. It's the same kind of layout that we have in Challengers, but just smaller. And everything in it is all-ages. It's not the kids' room. Because that would imply it's just for kids, but this is for everybody. Like we like to think that it's like uh, up to ten years old is where you're going here before you graduate to the main floor. Gotcha. So let's talk more about the main floor yeah. and and what you guys do here. So again, going back to this idea of uh, maybe challenging the notion of what you might think of when you think of the traditional comic book store. So we talked about the red and white color scheme. Mm -hmm. We talked about how great it smells. You guys are dressed impeccably. Well, we want you to be able to know that, uh, like I said before, who, who works there. And this is a business, and this is our business, and this reflects us. We want to be professional. Anybody can wear uh, jean shorts and a Captain Marvel t-shirt. Like, and that's what we'll do at home. This, this is a business. Yeah, I mean, you guys are in button-downs and vests. Yeah. And, again, coming from... Uh from Acme Comics in North Carolina, Jermaine, he, you know, he has his fedora and his blazer. It's, yeah. Again, I wonder if this is becoming a little bit of a trend where these, where these retailers have quite the fashion you sense. Know, I, I love the fact that when we opened Challengers 10 years ago, there were a lot of things that we did that other stores didn't do. And, and there's no new ideas in comic retailing, and there's no new ideas in entertainment. And if we have something that works for you and you want to use it, use it. Don't even ask. Just do it. But... We, we put out, uh, we had a couch and chairs. We still have the chairs now. The, the couch didn't make it. But I mean, it's 10, 10 years of a lot of use. But we, we, like, we encourage people to sit and read stuff. And stores didn't do that. Uh, at the time we opened, we had Scotty Young's art table set up for anybody to come in and sit down and draw if they wanted to. And stores didn't do that. There's a lot of things that, other things, but specifically those that we did that now everybody does and it's commonplace and it's great like I, I literally most most of the the uh furniture not the shelving but the furniture is from ikea because it's affordable and you can get it all in red and i love it when i'll go in and see literally those exact chairs in other stores and it's like yeah because they're they're affordable they're transportable and they're sturdy but i i love seeing i love seeing jermaine always dressed up and uh, they do a lot of stuff with the artist Chris Russo. He did our windows. Yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, just good ideas come together, you know? that we, we used to do a, we tried a level of graphic novel dividers that would stick out in between the titles. So you're looking at these, this wall full of books, but you could at least see, oh, there's the word Batman. So I can go there yep. for Batman and have the basic ones. And I'd like put up the prototype online and Jermaine was the first guy to say, hey, can we do that? Like, yeah, man, absolutely. Anytime you want. You never have to ask. And they do. Yeah. 
So you've described... And we don't because it didn't work for us. <laughs> People would be like, where's Walking Dead? I'm like, You're lit, that, that, the word... Never mind. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, we could do a whole thing on pet peeves, but that would always yeah. drive me nuts when you would tell somebody, what's well, alphabetical? Yeah. <laughs> it's like just a blank blank stare back. I, like, I, I had a, a comment recently. I'm like, I refuse to show you an adult where the letter T starts on the shelf. Right? Oh, man. Drove us nuts. Yeah. So you have described your store as a pure comic shop, a comics first store. Yeah. And I think the, the percentage I saw somewhere was 90% of the store are comics and trades. Yeah, it's actually, it used to be more than that, but we've, like, we didn't do action figures before, but we ourselves love action figures. And one of the reasons we, we didn't stock a lot of action figures is because they're so cheap at Toys R Us and Target. And we have Targets everywhere around us and at Toys R Us just up the block. But people still would come to us for things. So we thought, all right, if people are asking for these, we'll get them. And, you know, we want to buy them ourselves. So it, it's easier for us. So we, we have expanded our toy section. And I was telling you before we started recording, several game stores in the area have all closed recently. So we started carrying two square feet worth of, of games, Dungeons and Dragons and um, Escape Room games and Munchkin, just very basic things. We are not gamers. One of the reasons we don't normally carry games is because we don't want to be disingenuous and we, don't, we want to be able to help you. And if you grab the, the game Pandemic and say, oh, how is this? I don't know. I've never played it. And I don't like carrying things I don't know anything about with the exception of magic cards because everybody asks for magic cards and most of our employees play magic. It's just that Dal and I don't personally. That's another theme. That's come up a number of times. I'm in the same boat. I was never into it. And it's funny, there's a store uh, where I live that reached out to me recently and they're like, essentially like, oh, how come we haven't been on the show? And it's like, it's nothing personal. They're primarily a gaming store. It's like, it's yeah. nothing personal. It's just, I, that's just not my bag. I don't, yeah. I, you know, I guess it would be interesting to explore maybe in, in the podcast, but I don't know. That's never been where my heart is in this sure. hobby. And honestly, it's, it's not, it's not a thing I do, but uh, I had a very long conversation recently with Corey Cassoni from Toonhound and uh, we have very educated fans that are, are gaming fans who have said, hey, look at these games, or I was just at Gen Con, here's what people are talking about, and that kind of thing. And we try, we're dipping our toes in, as I like to say, and we have moderate success so far, but nothing that is making us say, oh, we're gonna increase our game section or whatever. Just a, you know, we'll see how it goes, and we'll see what people want. And also, as a self-admitted non-gamer, I may not make the best choices for what to carry, but I'm the guy that does the ordering. So like I said, I listen to all these people and I try what they're saying, but that's what people are telling me. That's not what my market is telling me. Right. And that so, is always important yeah. Yeah, to, to be responding to, um, you know, to who you're working with. Yeah. In terms of product diversification, I mean, do you feel like you guys are diversified enough? Because, I mean, I know what the margins are like on the, on the single issues and the trades. I mean, yeah. I would imagine you need to be moving a substantial volume of them to, to really be making money. Yeah. The, there's such a thing as too much diversification. So... We, we keep a very tight rein on what we restock. And uh, that is Dal's department is every week when we generate what we've sold for the week, we look through and say, can we sell this again? Or did, did we sell our maximum? Or, you know, what, what levels do we set the computer to to tell us, okay, well, you know, you're down to five copies of Saga Volume 1. Do we need more or not? That kind of thing. Uh, as far as other diversity goes, we have a really large local section, but 
they're all in boxes. They're all in uh, pull-out drawer boxes and things. So you have to dig because we used to give them a shelf area or like an like an eight-foot shelf section, and they don't sell. And people keep bringing us local books, which is great. We love having them, but the margins on those are usually not great. And they're all usually a lot more expensive than regular comics because people have to make them in very small quantities and make them themselves. And we don't we don't sell them. They don't move. And I feel bad every time somebody comes in and says, how did we do? And we, we get out their book and look it up and go over and say, oh, you haven't sold me. But, I mean, we do. We have a lot of local books. We just don't have... Uh, we're also in the same neighborhood as a, a really great zine store called Quimby's that has probably everything we have and more of it. So that, that could be a reason. But it's just that the mainstream comic fans, as diverse as they could be in their indie comic reading, don't necessarily go for the DIY zine-made comics of local creators. Gotcha. And I know you have back issues, and they're all 99 cents. Yeah. And I think this points to this idea that we were getting at earlier about nurturing comic book fans and readers versus cultivating collectors. Yeah. And so I guess just bear with me with this, because this was kind of a, a larger idea that I wanted to get at. As I've been talking to, uh, to retailers and, and to the non-initiated as well about this project that I'm doing, one thing that people keep asking is, oh, like, what about digital comics? Has that been hurting stores? And... It's only come up a little bit in the season, and the sense that I've gotten, and I could be mistaken, but the sense I've gotten is that digital comics haven't hurt stores all that much, at least not yet. And I would assume that maybe part of the reason why is that collector mentality, that people are used to having and owning the physical copies, and they want to have all of the issues in the run and all of that. I don't know if that's, yeah, maybe sure. for their other factors, but I would have to imagine that that collector mentality is, is a part of it. So I guess the question I have is in not nurturing those collecting habits, and I'm not saying you should, but in not nurturing that, does it potentially run the risk of somebody, you know, they really enjoy reading it, but they're just as happy to read the, the digital copy because they don't feel they need to own it, and then it hurts the in-store business. I mean, is that a concern at all? It's not a concern because the easy answer is we'll never know if that's the case. When people say, is, are digital comics hurting you? I don't know. If somebody's buying all their books digitally, I don't know that. True. They're n all I know is they're not buying from me. Like, nobody ever says, hey, I'm not buying from you anymore because I'm getting all my books digitally. Like, I, I know some people that do both. I know people that, that buy some books digitally and so I have some books um, physically. But I, I really think where digital is going to come into play is the future where you have young readers engaging with it only in a digital capacity. Right. And if that's how you learn, that's how you progress. You're never going to step backwards. Nobody ever bought a compact disc and said, you know what, how does this sound on 8-track? That's what I want to know. Like, it, it doesn't go backwards. And comics are lucky because we haven't had that progression of format like the music industry has. You know, we, we never went from reel to reel to records to eight tracks to cassette tapes to CDs to mini discs to MP3s like we we just went single issue comics to digital like that's the only the only two formats we have and i know so many people that have tried digital and don't like the format i don't like the format i do a lot of digital reading for 
previews from publishers when they right, give us right. PDFs in advance. But I don't like reading on a device. Uh, I will read those on a computer screen because my computer monitor is very large. But the idea of reading it on my phone or on a tablet, no. And I know that a tablet is almost full screen, but it, it's too heavy and you don't, in, like, it tells you how to read a book and my eyes tell me how to read a book. I don't need a, a, a going panel to panel doesn't give you the full emphasis of what the creators are trying to say because when an artist lays out a page, they're laying out a page. They're not laying out each individual panel. But I mean, uh, again, uh, we don't know where digital is buying. One of the things I've always wanted to know is where are the digital sales coming from geographically? Is it rural areas that don't have comic stores or is it major metropolitan cities that have plenty of stores? And since no publisher releases their stats, we'll never know. It's like Netflix not releasing their ratings. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We just know if a book is canceled, it's not doing well. And if a series is not renewed, it's not doing well. Uh, I, I've never been that worried about digital comics because A, there's nothing we can do to stop it. And B, I mean, it's ultimately not the way the medium was made. But the more and more creators that produce the content digitally is adapting to that format and... I don't think comic stores will ever go away, but I think they may go the route of record stores at some point in the future where you won't have as many of them, but they'll have so much stuff. Right. And uh, I don't know that that is necessarily us because the back issue market died in Chicago a long time ago. So many stores that relied on just back issues don't anymore. I mean, there, there are stores that do back issues, but there's more stores that do what we do now, which is they're all just one price. And I love it when somebody thinks they're getting a bargain in the back issues because I want them to be happy. But at the same time, I just think that's, I don't even know that's worth the, the dollar that we're charging, man. Right. I mean, worth is a quantifiable phrase in that situation. But yeah. I yeah. No, it's interesting. And I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I would imagine that the goal would be that the conversation part of this is going to keep people coming back. Right, right. Uh, I, we just had a, a conversation with another retailer who has a lot of people, what's it called? Showrooming. Like looking at a, at, a, at a product on the shelf and then looking it up on Amazon and seeing what they charge for it or getting the recommendations from the retailer and then going to buy it somewhere else. I don't think we have that happening, but like I don't actively see people looking things up on their phone, but I also don't necessarily see what they're looking up on their phone. I don't, I'm not spying on people when they're in the store. I'm not paying that close attention. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine it would be the most problematic in terms of trade paperbacks because generally speaking, you can get them at a discount oh, yeah. on something like Amazon. Absolutely. I mean, and that to me, when people ask like, oh, is digital a problem for stores? Again, I always usually say it's, it's probably more Amazon. That's the oh, bigger, bigger probably, problem. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. And it's, one like we don't do sales here. We do one sale a year. That's all. It's every February sixth through the thirteenth. It's called "I Love You, But I've Chosen Comics," and it's twenty five percent of everything, one time per year. Because we don't want to devalue the product. We don't want you to think that this book is worth less than what they're charging for it, less than cover price. So any type of online discounting service which is saying, hey, this book isn't worth as much as that. Like, I, I think that sends the wrong message. I think it sends that, well, you know, it says it's $4, but it's really only worth 275 to me. 
no, it's it's worth four dollars as far as the level of care put into this and the love put into it by the creators and the publishers. So we, we don't like the idea of devaluing the product that we have and all of these services do that just to make a little bit more money than we do. Right. No, I understand. I mean, and so as far as, you know, in store here and not, not playing those, those collector games, again, you don't mark up the back issues. Right. Uh, I think I read somewhere you don't play the incentive cover game. No. No. If we get a cover, incentive covers, we put them on the shelf for cover price. Like, and by get, I mean, if we qualify for them, we don't go out of our way for them. Uh, companies like IDW, if you meet the threshold, they just send it to you anyway. So they'll just go on the shelf. Right. The ones where you can order as many as you want, where it's just like a 50-50. Do you order both covers or will you? Uh, we usually just don't just because in my experience that confuses people more than anything else. And especially since we no longer give multiple spaces to a book after first week of release, we don't want to stack two different covers of the same book together because when someone's flipping through, they'll see two different covers and oftentimes just get it not seeing that it's the same number. It doesn't happen often, but it happens more than we want it to. Right. But I mean, if somebody says, hey, can you always get me the B cover? Yeah, sure. But we don't give the choices and we certainly don't account for people that want both covers because... That's almost unfathomable to us. Yeah, so, I mean, on that note, do you find that there are any of the traditional old-school comic fan collectors who are put off by that at all? Because I just wonder, since we talk about all these things about again, cultivating this next generation of, of readers and everything, and I just wonder, the more traditional fan, where do they fit into this? Well, it's not like we won't get it for them if they ask. Like, if you're a club member and you want all the variant covers, yeah, we'll get them for you. Uh, Incentive-wise, we'll only get it for you if... We qualify for it, and nobody else asks first. And again, continuing on this track of the, the old school collector, with the personal recommendations, do you find that type of customer, are they asking for recommendations? Are they receptive when you make recommendations? How do they typically They're re almost respond? always receptive, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, who doesn't like getting turned on to something? Yeah. Uh, a guy I used to work with at a different shop was one of these guys that was, you don't tell me what's good, I tell you what's good. Like, if, it, if this book was good, I would have known about it. So you can't tell me it's good. But he was great at recommending things to people. He was just bad at taking recommendations himself. Gotcha. Yeah. A little bit of a tangent, but I saw you guys post something about this recently. Comic book spoilers in the news. Yeah. Which has really become a very common practice when there's a big event, a big storyline development. The publishers will, you know, will arrange a story with major publications and the story will run before the issues are even in the stores. Yep. And... I mean, I guess on the one hand, from their perspective, they want to generate buzz and interest and get get people into the store to buy the books. But for the people who are reading and enjoying these, it, it is spoiling it for them. I mean, where where you guys land well, on that? Well, uh, we're we're absolutely against it. Uh, it's a thing that Dal personally hates. Like he had Marvel Legacy ruined for him just accidentally, like looking at a, a headline too much. Yeah, I mean that was the most and, recent example. Yeah, of this. Uh, yeah. I, uh, there's a more recent one. I, I knew the <laughs> answer to the. Catwoman proposal oh, okay. before I read the single issue. Uh, the thing that we hate about that is not only does it ruin it for the longtime reader, but all it does is if it is a sales boost, it's short term because people will come in and say, do you have that, that one where this happens? And they buy it and they never come back. It goes back to the amazing Spider-Man issues that President Obama were in. Yep, We sold a ton of those and nobody cared at all what it was. It was just a thing the news told them that Obama was in. 
It didn't bump Spider-Man sales numbers for the next issue in the slightest. And I want to say like 90% of the people that bought that book never read it. They just wanted it because they were told it was a thing where something happens and they could maybe resell it. It's literally just this weekend, it's the Szechuan sauce from McDonald's. And the majority of people that bought it, bought it to flip it. And they're all over eBay and going for ridiculous prices. But like it's so so few people are in it for the purity of the experience. And if you're a comic company and you have a thing that you have to spoil, that means you need people to buy it, but it, it never helps long term. Yeah, I know. It is it is kind of tough to reconcile all of that. And I mean again, the story typically will break the day the book comes out or the day before. Usually so, the day before, yeah. So it's not like it's even the type of thing where the story runs early enough where you can increase your, like people come in and ask you for it and you can yeah, say, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll order you one. <laughs> oh, well, the publishers will never tell retailers what's happening because they can't trust retailers because retailers will spoil it. 100% retailers will spoil it. Marvel and DC used to have uh, programs where they would send out copies of next week's comics a week early. Oh, I, listen. The first looks and the sneak peeks. I remember that. That was yeah. right when I started working at the store. That was one of the best parts about right? working at a comic shop. I got to see next week's books. Ahead yeah. Of, it was yeah. great. And now because we have the uh, final order cutoffs where we can adjust our numbers three weeks before a book comes out, publishers work around that by doing a lot of biweekly books and a lot of weekly stories that we still don't have enough time to catch up on. And... It's just a question of not being able to know what's happening in enough time. Uh, or like a thing that, that is personally grating to me right now is for DC's Metal, their Batman one-shots, like The Man Who Laughs or uh, Batman the Dawnbreaker or Batman the Red Death, because these have the fancy metal covers, DC had to go to a press a lot earlier than they normally do, so we had to turn our orders in a lot earlier. And now that the demand is crazy, we can't keep up. And DC has already announced that the rest of these books have sold out before they come out. And it's because, well, we're also in a, in a uh, what I like to call a post-order society. Nobody pre-orders anymore. They all post-order. They add a thing after it comes out, before they've seen it, but after it's already on the shelf. Yeah. Or when it's too late for us to do anything about it to adjust our orders to, to meet that demand. Jermaine was talking about that too, about yeah. how it, it seems to be a trend where it, you know people used to be on top of their pull list more and yeah. they would add and drop ahead of time. But now it's like really you know the, the last minute or later. There's too much stuff and nobody can commit to everything uh, at once and they want to at least be able to read a couple reviews. And, and like we don't assume that the majority of our customers use the comics industry resources and the websites and things but those who do use it religiously but they want to wait and see what somebody else says on a book before they add it or they want to at least see it like nobody ever flips through a book and says oh, i'll add this now it's always between like right before it comes out after, after we've printed up the polls list for the week and before we actually pull the books it's oh can i get that now when it's all a lot of crossing out and scribbling in and and when it's the hardest for us, that's when people want it. You know, one other thing that I wanted to talk about shifting a little bit is uh, I know you guys have a lot of creator signings. Yes. And I mean, would you mind just sharing some of the people you've had recently or maybe tease some that are that Oh, are sure. Uh, well, uh, coming up, we have uh, Halloween Comic Fest, which is the comics industry's attempt to do a second free comic book day, which we've never participated in because usually we would either do our own Halloween thing or 
our neighborhood has specific trick-or-treat times for the kids and it never jibes with Halloween Comic Fest. It just still doesn't this year, but this year we have Dave Scheidt who does the uh, the all-ages book Wrapped Up, which debuts this week from uh, Lion Forge. And it's, a, it's an all-ages book and Dave's local, so we're having him come in. Uh, we have Daniel Kibblesmith coming in twice at the end of this year, once in November, once in December. Uh, in November for his holiday book, Santa's Husband, but in December for Quantum and Woody, he's doing that, the relaunch for that because he previously did Doorman for Heavy Metal and uh, Valiant High for Valiant and uh, like a story in the Harley 30th anniversary special. But we've had people anywhere from uh, Dave McKeon and uh, we've had uh, Cullen Bunn and Brian Hurt in like seven times for stuff because we love those guys. Matt Kinson's been in a bunch, uh, Joel Jones a few times. Um, but then last March we did... 23 different women creators over the span of the month in an event we called Women's Comics Month because it was Women's History Month and we just showcased as many local creators as we could. So we try to do every aspect, like the the A-listers down to people you've never heard of. Uh, last free, com free comic day, we always try to have somebody that has a free comic day book out that year. So we had Matt Kent this year. He did the EXO book. It was his first ever free comic book day and it was uh, very interesting for him. Uh, the last few events we've had have all been like it was Batman Day. So we had a um, uh, a cosplayer doing Harley Quinn, and we had uh, local artists, and then we also had Tim Seeley. Like we try to have one name, and then people that just do it for the love of doing it. Cool. And so, just logistically speaking, I mean, how do you set this up? How are you finding these, or how are you connecting with these creators? The internet. Yeah. Yeah. Just reaching uh, out to them directly. Yeah. yeah. yeah it just gets cold calling, really. Um, we've had plenty of huge misses. Uh, we were, we were attempting to get Grant Morrison and, uh, that didn't work out. Uh, we almost had Tom King for Mr. Miracle number one, but that didn't work out. Um, but I'm like, we, nobody is too big for us to ask, but there's plenty, like we've had Raina Telgemeier in twice before she broke as big as she is and deservedly so. Now we're way too small for her. Oh, really? You know, we, we had uh, Kelly Sudeconic when she was doing the Marvel book Osborne. Now, there's no way we get Kelly Sudeconic back, you know. But we, we love having had people. Uh, the signing wall we have behind the front counter is a, is a testament to all the different people we've had. And, um, yeah, it's amazing how easy it is to get someone to come in because they do this because they love it and they they want to – they want to have the conversations as well. They want to be able to talk to people that love what they're doing. Yeah. Well, I would imagine, yeah, for them, I mean, the creative process can be a solitary yeah, one. Very oftentimes. isolating, yeah. For the ones who you say are too big now to do this, is it that they're too busy or do they seem like they're not interested anymore? Oh, I, I, we wouldn't even try again. Okay. Like, we, uh, our store is too small. Like, uh, just talents that I think that have such um, mass appeal. Like, we would never be able to get a mad fraction right now. Or um, definitely not Grant Morrison, like we tried. But there's people we've had in the past that I just, I don't think would, uh, yeah, I, I just, I'd, I'm not trying to make it sound bad either way. It's just we're, we're too small for them now. When you do have people, are you are you paying them for their time, their expenses, neither, both? How does uh, that work? We pay the expenses. Okay. We'll, we'll fly them in. We'll put them up. We'll take them to dinner. We don't pay for time. Okay. And, I mean, what sort of response do you get from your customers? Are people into it? Do you get big turnouts at these things? 
because we've had like we we never really did a bunch at alternate realities, sure. but the ones that we did, you know, there was one. Uh, I wasn't actually present for this, but we had Justin Gray and Jimmy Palmiotti, sure, and this yeah. was this was years ago though. The signing itself was really not well attended, but you know they came out to dinner with the guys, and everyone was yeah. so happy. Yeah. But you know the the signing itself was not a huge draw. Events are the bane of our existence because we love doing them, but Chicago doesn't care anymore. And uh, like I said, we had Raina Telgemeier out twice to very low turnouts, and she's massive now. But she was in our minds, she was massive back then. Uh, we had we've had uh, Noel Stevenson out twice for Lumberjanes and then for Nimona. And everything we do is diminishing returns. If we do an event that has a great turnout and we try to replicate it, we get like half the attendance the next time. So it's it's like we've had Mike Norton sign here maybe a dozen times, and it's just a handful of people that come out now. Yet if Mike Norton goes to um, Third Eye in Annapolis, people camp out overnight to meet him. Right. Their events are amazing. Uh, we had uh, Charles Soule here and Ryan Brown for oh, their, the, store, the, the Curse, Curse Wars tour. Yeah. yeah, I saw them at all. Yeah, yeah, excellent. And uh, we were we're Ryan's home store, and Charles had never been here before, and we were the second smallest turnout on the tour, I think. And it's like Chicago. This is huge. Chicago as a city just doesn't care about events anymore. I think that because there's so many comic stores and so many things happening, people just say, "I'll go to the next one," or it's that. Uh, misguided comic shop loyalty where people think they owe their store loyalty and they can't go anywhere. So I I saw an exchange between Charles Soule and somebody who shops at a different store on the other side of town who's like, oh, I wish you're coming to my store. He's like, I'm coming to your city. He's like, I I can't cheat on my store. It's not cheating because your store is not offering this thing. Whenever like a, a, a... store in the in the neighborhood not in the neighborhood, but in, in the city uh had gail simone or had jamie mckelvey or, or i'm sorry kieran gillen did we tell our people oh you can't go to that no we think it's great we'll we'll never tell you you can't go. You're like, you don't owe us anything uh, a good quote from dal is the only thing you owe us is the money you've already spent hmm. that's all we we don't you don't owe us you know if you decide to cancel your subscription, we'd appreciate you telling us in advance. Yeah, pick not, up the books that you've ordered. Yes, not just in the last couple of weeks, we've had two, oh, when we call people like, hey, you know, you're, you don't forget your books. I live in Portland now. I forgot to tell you. Oh, thanks for sticking us with all these books. Terrific. Or I tried to come in, but I couldn't make it and I've moved. Sorry. Yeah. Thanks. These are books we ordered specifically for you. With the signings, when when it isn't the best turnout, are the creators good sports about it, or do they seem kind of yeah? Put off? Uh, we we've never had anybody um, be angry about it, and um, we always look at it as our fault. They always look at it as their fault. Everybody's willing to blame themselves. Like the creators are like, yeah, I I just don't have that big of a fan base. Like, no, we didn't like we didn't get the word out right enough, or whatever, or. It's drizzling, so everybody stayed inside today, or it's a degree colder than it was yesterday, or whatever. Like, there's, you always look for excuses, but ultimately you think, oh, nobody cares. I, it's a, it's such a tricky thing. I mean, we could we could keep going on about this. I don't want to harp on it, but I, I wonder if part of it is that through social media, people have a level of access to creators that they used to not have at that, all. I, that is a, a, exactly a huge part of it. I think if you follow someone on Twitter and read their tweets or. If amazingly they interact with you at some point, you think, well, we're already friends. I don't need to go meet them. 
yeah, I, I think that internet access is a big part of it. But I would imagine, I mean, it's it's still worthwhile to do and to attempt, right? Because I think about it even with the things that I do, uh, you know, events and such, and or going to conventions, and it's like even if I get one new person to listen to the podcast, sure, it's good. Yeah, yeah, and and that, that's why we do things. We have stopped trying to make money on events because we don't. I mean, when you add yeah, I was up, going to ask if that yeah, translates to sales. When you add up airfare and hotel and meals. And then figure out how many comics you have to sell specifically from that event, like taking away your normal day sales, how much extra you have to do to make that up. We haven't made money on an event in a long time, but we, we love the exposure. We love being able to say, hey, we had these people out. We love showing pictures saying, look who we had here. Look what they drew on the wall. Uh, we, we, like, we like to do a lot of look what you missed. Yeah, it's Look part you of missed. the culture of the store yeah. that you're creating. No, yeah. I understand. I mean, I think that does make sense. Uh, but And when the people who do come, do you find that they are your regular customers or are you pulling in new people? And if they are new people, do any of them stick around and become regulars? No, they don't stick around because they have their own stores. Okay. Uh, we, we've been here for 10 years. We're not, we're not stealing anybody away from anybody else anymore. Uh, we, we've pretty much, I think, reached the maximum number of people that were like like... There may be new fans coming in here and there, but uh, like setting up at Comic Cons and and like at Wizard World or C two E two and being like, look, we have a store that exists. When people have a store, they're not looking to change, and people will go to the worst stores if they're closer. So where are there opportunities for growth then? I mean, is it more doing online sales or getting your existing customers to? add more titles to their pull it, It's got to be new customers. It's creating new customers. Creating that, new customers. Yeah, yeah that yeah, weren't yeah. reading comics before. That's that's the only growth that we can do. And like we, we hate the idea of cannibalizing our existing customers' monies because they're already spending as much as they can. To get this title, they have to drop this title. And it's weird to say there's too many choices out, but there's too many comics out. Like we don't, we can't carry everything. We've got a couple of uh, dedicated club members who every week give us a list of the books that they want us to get for them because they know we're not going to have them for the shelf because there's so many smaller companies we just don't give the shelf space to because now that we've condensed everything and you know we, we have to ideally your book needs to sell in seven days for us right yeah creating new customers well i guess that kind of brings us full circle you know early on we talked about saga and it's like how did how do these people find out about saga and yeah. come in it's like guess finding those other people out there uh, I mean, through community outreach, things like that. I mean, yeah, like do, events with a, local organizations. We do a lot of. Um, we set up a lot of libraries and uh, elementary schools and schools, and we just did a um, an event with uh, local Chicago Hopes for Kids mentoring, like these these mentors that deal with underprivileged or um, homeless kids, and they want to start using comics to reach them. So. Uh, they asked us to come in and talk to their mentors and to, to basically people that don't read comics to pitch them on how to read comics and how to engage with comics, which was actually really kind of fun and easy because like, how do, how do kids read comics? You give it to them and they open it and they read it. If they know how to read, they'll read it. But these were adults that had never read comics and adults have a very hard time reading comics if they've never read comics before. They don't know, do I read the word balloon and look at the art? Like how does it flow? So it's it's teaching them how to engage with it so they can engage with kids. But I mean, that's that's a step for the industry as a whole. That's not really doing anything for our store specifically. But it's just going to um, 
in two weeks, we're setting up at an education seminar at a, a local elementary school just to, to show parents like, hey, we're in the neighborhood. These are the kind of things that, that we have. You know, reading is great for kids. You want your kids to read. Comics have a very proven success rate for getting reluctant readers into reading. You know, come on by and see what we have. Because, uh, like, uh, kids walk into this into Sidekicks and see the room and they think, this is, this is not a surprise to them. They think it's great. They love it. They want to be here. But parents are like, I didn't know there were comics for kids. And kids are like, well, why wouldn't there be? Because they didn't know that there shouldn't be. So it doesn't, it's, it's not a surprise to them because the world is theirs. But it's educating parents on, hey, this is what's available for your kids and this is what, what can help them or what they can like. And wouldn't you rather them reading a comic book than play a video game? I got to tell you, I mean, I love what you guys do here. And I've really had a great time chatting with you. Uh, I mean, I know we could we could go on and on. There's always so much more to talk about. But is there anything in particular that you wanted to talk about or share about your store that we haven't gotten to? Well, I mean, this is not a surprise to anybody who listens to your podcast, but there's a comic for everybody. No matter who you are or what you do, there's a comic book that you'll love. And it's just a matter of you finding it. And I can't tell you how many times in the past I've gone to people that don't read comics and said, hey, here's this one specific comic. You should read this. You'll love it. And they read it and love it, and I'll say, great, you want to buy the next one? I don't read comics. You do. Everybody reads comics. Comics have been around forever. It's, it's an American art form. Uh, I'm always disappointed by how comics are looked at in America versus other countries where they're revered and accepted and encouraged and virtually worshipped. Yet they're an American art form, and we think they're just, just for kids and that they're dumb. They're not. I've devoted my life to it. I've permanently scarred my body with the idea of comics. Before I let you go, uh, I know it might be a little too early, but uh, again, we, as we said, you do have your 10th anniversary coming up. Anything special planned? Um, no, nothing that we've talked about. We have um, the biggest concern for us is that our lease is also up at that point, And we need to find out if we're able to stay in the space or not. Okay. As if, if, yeah, that's a priority. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... We're not looking so much because it, it might be uh, a grand reopening somewhere, you know, like, gotcha. uh, uh, and when I say if we're allowed to, I mean, our, our lease says we have to six months before the end of the lease say what our intentions are. And we did. And we haven't heard back. So either they don't want us to renew or they're going to raise the rent too high. And uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but the other spaces in this building we're in that we've been in for almost 10 years are empty and everything that's come has gone. Some of them in the dark of the night just slink out and break leases and whatnot. So uh, I can't imagine our landlord wouldn't want us to stay since we've been here for 10 years, even though they're not the original landlord, but still. Have you have you seen any effect here as a result of the other stores not being here? Like, was there any crossover in terms no, of foot traffic or they, anything like they that? Were, uh, since we've been here, it's been everything from two different cell phone stores, uh, a payday loans, check cashing place, uh, a vape shop. Uh, there's no no real yeah no I just asked because w- the strip where alternate realities was uh, that that space is still vacant and yeah. we 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 were and still are friendly with the deli owner uh, who was right next door to us and every time we go in he's like you know he he really misses the store because on Wednesdays especially you know he sure. did great business that day everybody Man, would go in and then I, they'd go get some lunch we don't have any delis around us I would love a deli around here. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for sharing your comic shop history with uh, us. It's been my pleasure, and thank you, and thank you for doing what you're doing and sharing all the comic shop histories with all your listeners and really spreading the word.
Yeah, no, I love doing it. And, you know, the the day job that I have, that's actually what brought me to Chicago. And the five years that I've been working there, I've come here four times. So oh, wow. it's very likely that I'll be back again and Excellent. I'll be sure to stop Excellent. in the next time I'm in town. So thank you again for being part of this. Keep reading comics. Well said. Thank you to everyone who tuned in. Uh, be sure to come back in two weeks for Windy City Part 2. We'll be featuring First Aid Comics. And next week on the other podcast I host, Flat Squirrel Tales Beyond My Comic Shop, we'll be doing our New York Comic Con post-mortem uh, with a special focus on cosplay. So it'll be a lot of fun. Be sure to tune in for that. And then we'll see you back here in two weeks for more My Comic Shop history. Until then, as always, don't be a flat squirrel. <laughs>